Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of a MOBE Forum special webinar, where we have pulled together some excellent speakers to discuss and debate some of the hot topics of this time. In true MOBE Forum, it will be a quite open and informal discussion, and I hope you will find this useful. Before introducing today's panel, I'll just say a few words about MOBE Forum. Mobile Forum is an industry organization that was founded in 2000. It has, since its inception, been driven mainly by banks, but also technology providers and, and other relevant players have found their way to Mobile, all seeking out this special relationship, this Mobile family, as we often hear described. And, and it has always been a place where the members have come to have the most burning, most relevant, most interesting dialogues, questions uh, answered, and strategies challenged, etc. MOBE is a members-only organization, so most of MOBE's events are uh, held under the Chatham House rules, so uh, only few things get out of those. But uh, from time to time, we do have these more public uh, events like this webinar, so hopefully it can give you an idea of how things happen in MOBE and hopefully also that uh, you would consider at some point joining. So I would very much like to introduce today's panel. I'm very, very proud and happy to, to have such a distinguished panel of MOBE Forum veterans. All are active participants in the expert groups that are currently running in MOBE. So um, first of all, we have Amir Tabakovic. Amir is the CEO and founder of Experience AI currently working as an executive for business development with mostly AI. He's also a guest professor and a lecturer on AI and machine learning at a number of universities. He's been the chair of many, a work group, an expert group in MOBE. Uh, currently, he's chairing MOBE Forum's AI and data security expert group. And we are based in Barcelona, but has lived most of his life in Switzerland. The reason for me to include the geography this time around is that uh, since we'll be discussing the coronavirus and how that has impacted financial services. I think it's relevant to also have the geographical dimension uh, included as well. Next to Amir, we have Yuka Ilutsinen from uh, Giesige and Debrin, uh, where he is a vice president for digital solutions. Uh, Yuka is a Mobile Forum board member and also a co-chair of Mobile Forum's digital ID expert group. And Yuka is based in Helsinki, Finland. I'm also happy to include Mario Brexic, who is a product owner at George Labs, part of the Erste Group. Uh, George, George Lab is Erste's innovation platform for open banking. And Mario has also been an active participant in MOBE for quite a while, and he's now currently the co-chair of MOBE Forum's open banking expert group. And Mario is based in Vienna, Austria. And last and probably least in such a fine company, it, it's me. My name is Christian C. Sorensen. I'm a co-founder of Norfico and strategic advisor to banks and technology providers on payments and emerging financial services. I'm based in Copenhagen, Denmark, and I've been involved in Mobile Forum for many years, representing different companies uh, as, uh, as members. So without further ado, uh, let us say hello to, to our panel. And, and the first quick question I would like to ask, Amir, you've been in Mobile for a long time. Can, can you just say couple of words about how you have benefited as a MOBE member. Sure, Christian, thanks. As you mentioned, MOBE Forum is a, something like a family to me because I joined 10 years ago and I could benefit from MOBE Forum uh, on the professional side, but also 
being able to meet with with people who are who share same interest and same passion for digital financial services. Excellent. And what about you, Yuka? Just a few lines on your benefit from Mobe. Thank you, Christian. So, well, very much echo you and Amir. So it is a very kind of a family type of um, organization so that you are actually share information very openly, which is very different to any other organization or conferences or industry bodies that at least I have ever, never participated. So, and that of course gives you uh, many uh, benefits. One of them is that you really get to the uh, roots of the knowledge. And then secondly, you get to know really uh, people who are expert on their domains. And uh, by the way, they are really also very nice people. <laughs> Good to hear you, Yuka. And, uh, and Mario, representing a bank into the Mobe Forum, um, just a few words from you as well. What is the benefit that you as a person and, and the bank you represent gets from, from your Mobe membership? So I can only agree with my esteemed colleagues. Uh, I think there's a very tight-knit group in Mobi. Um, and what we specifically get is it's a group of people that you can also ask uh, in confidentiality and in like a, a secure environment how they're dealing with some of the issues that you're dealing with and actually expect to get a, a meaningful response. Whereas usually there's a lot, a lot of this kind of a competitive atmosphere, let's say, where People, even if they're uh, dealing with some issues, don't want to maybe admit it or get, in, get into the details or they don't want to actually actively help you solve them. Whereas in, in Mobi, that's not the case. You don't really feel that type of uh, energy. It's more of a let's come to a common um, way of solving the problems better when we're dealing with, which we're dealing with uh, on both sides. So for me, it's definitely a, a big benefit. <laughs> Thank you, all three of you. I can only con- concur to what have been brought up. And uh, as, as you said, Mario, we are talking about uh, the things that matter. And uh, of course, a, a big thing that matters to all of us right now is the current situation brought on by uh, COVID-19. And that has, of course, changed the world completely, both the way that business conduct themselves, the way we pay, the way we interact, the way we do all sorts of things, but also the way we work. So perhaps starting out on on the working from home um, and how the three of you have uh, coped with that and the organizations that you're working with, how do they cope with that? What is what has been easy? What has been a challenge? Um, so maybe again, starting with, with you, Amir, you, you live and work under perhaps the strongest lockdown of, of us all in, in Barcelona. How is uh, working from home in Barcelona these days? Yeah, it's challenging, but but first of all, you know, uh, being able to work from home is actually a privilege, and you know, I'm grateful that staying inside is an option for me because our challenges are minor minor in comparison with some someone working in the emergency room, for example, like my brother, you know, who so the problems like can my broadband internet connection at home support four web meetings in running in parallel or you know which rules to apply when both of my kids have to share one laptop you know this is actually not a huge uh, challenge but in my case you know um, i i'm used to working from home the the one challenge is uh, you know lack of social contact um, especially when the when the world is falling apart 
as you mentioned, I, I'm right now supporting mostly AI and, and in business development. And they introduced things like, for example, 30 minutes coffee meetings in group of three or weekly workouts where you were doing, um, you know, physical exercises uh, via Zoom. So that's uh, something very positive. Uh, and talking about the situation in Barcelona, I mean, it was a very challenging weeks. Um, many people dying, the, the health system breaking apart. But uh, right now the situation is improving. So I hope that uh, this trend will continue. Hmm. Thanks, Amir. Mario, how is it uh, running a bank from home? Well, luckily, I don't have to run the whole bank. So most of us already have experience with uh, remote working. So I would say kind of my small micro universe was a little bit quicker to adapt, uh, whereas the rest of, of uh, kind of different departments might have had some more issues. But I think that everybody had a very quick uh, crash course in remote working in the last month. So we've been uh, since already a month and a half now in full home office. And besides the first days when we had kind of just technical issues and getting everybody used to kind of this new collaboration mode, I have to say it's going quite smoothly. Other, apart from the social aspects, um, productivity, collaboration, everything is incredibly good. But I have to say that always goes down to pe- the people that you're working with. And, you know, if you if you invest in in people who are good at what they do and actually have a team spirit, I think that, you know, we were very lucky that we were able to overcome a lot of the challenges. But that being said, it's, it's of course, demanding. You know, I'm one of those people that love drawing on whiteboards. So you know, finding virtual whiteboards that can support me is, uh, has been an ongoing challenge. Yeah. And, and uh, Yuka, as you work in a very much security-related industry, how has it been for you? Have everything been in place, uh, all things being ready to be fully digital and fully remote? Uh, how is it working from home in Finland? Thanks. Well, it's been actually quite easy for myself and actually for my teams, uh, the closest team, what I'm heading and also to my colleagues, because I have actually the virtual teams and we are global company. So from everything from West Coast of US all the way to Australia. So people are very used to that one. The time zones are not uh, challenges. The tools are not challenging. Uh, actually, the biggest challenge is that everybody is now online, which means that then you are spending even more time over your laptop and uh, desk than you should probably. But of course, there are even for us, uh, like a company who also provides services in the financial sector, uh, there are actually major challenges uh, have been. But uh, I think that we have managed them well, for example, from the production. So we have a big production size warehousing in China, actually in the region where this all started. And that started to impact, of course, our businesses from the very beginning of this year. So and then uh, when you go to the physical world, like just like Amir said, so there there are many people also in our company who just need to go and be, for example, in the personalization side or production side. And, uh, of course, our way of working is, is much, much easier and much more safe uh, from that point of view. Just on my close vicinity, well, we do also, for example, some of the uh, very high-tech uh, uh, security stuff, which requires, for example, the uh, security certification on the common criteria, which means that you need to actually work and 
to the development in a very special uh, security areas. And uh, we have, for example, uh, operations in India and uh, some of the our R&D guys, so they cannot go there because there is a not just a lockdown, but it's actually curfew. So you, you cannot travel anywhere, uh, mm. which means that we needed to, for example, have some of the people working and actually living in their uh, office so that they can actually provide the services. So, but uh, yeah, personally, I mean, uh, I'm also a bit relieved because I've been traveling a lot and this kind of a travel bans, it's uh, kind of a great at least uh, for a while. But then I also feel the same as uh, some of the colleagues. So you cannot just uh, totally uh, really disregard this kind of a social interactions. And of course, we have a lot of customers, but colleagues and, uh, and uh, you, you still miss something. So online cannot actually cover that all. Yeah, and and I think we we also should give credit where credit's due. I was impressed to read that the Geese Again Deverend has uh, actually managed to tweak your plastic card production to uh, to create visas uh, for uh, for healthcare workers to uh, in now in during the time where there is a big need of these uh, plastic visas uh, to keep health personnel safe, that you've been able to take the, your technology that normally produces plastic cars and produce these pieces of uh, equipment for, for, for the healthcare professionals. I think that's uh, good on you to, to see that kind of innovation coming out of, of a payments company. So let's uh, pick up further on, on today's theme of uh, COVID-19. And uh, I, I briefly tried to hand it to you, Mario, but I want to pick up again. And uh, I mean, you, even though you, you are not yourself running the bank from home, but, uh, but how do you see things in a bank these days? How do you, how do, do the bank engage with its customers? Do you see a growing uh, demand for self-service uh, or is it other services that uh, bank customers are demanding these days? How, how is it for, for a bank during COVID-19? Yeah, so for, from our side, I think since we, we also operate in various geographies, so talking about George uh, being live in Austria, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Romania, and also um, preparing for launch in, in other countries, um, when we look at how the, our, our users were reacting to this whole situation, where in most of the countries there was different levels of lockdowns, the digital usage just skyrocketed. So we're, we're able to see this right from the first day of kind of logically uh, those those users which would interact with um, maybe branches, but also just checking some, some things on ATMs and in other channels, um, everything that was remote just exploded. And it was interesting because we do have a lot of the services that you can do remotely, of course, you know, as a fully digital um, product, we try to get George to a level where we can do everything digitally. But there were some some aspects which we were still kind of rolling out or planning to still enhance in the future. And um, the remote part, so having different services fully digitalized to just being able to communicate, um, we actually ha- had to kind of leave some things um, that we were working on and just fully focus in a kind of a, the most agile way that you can get on seeing what can we do to actually um, support uh, all the people who are now at home but still want to be able to do their banking business. So mm-hmm. we actually... Uh, were very quick in reacting. We did a few interesting things um, that were maybe not expected before or we didn't have a focus on it. So, for example, we were trying to tackle the issue of how, how can we streamline that a user is already authenticated from the moment that they call uh, service, the service hotline. Mm-hmm. So um, something that in normal times, 
it would have been kind of a nice to have because usually you have the time and there's always the fallback being able to have agents ask you certain questions in, in the most rudimentary way to uh, validate your identity. But we as George then jumped in and said, okay, there is a better way that we can use technologies to, to solve this and also streamline when you have hundreds of thousands of calls coming in, um, having those few minutes to validate if somebody is who they say they are, that just doesn't, that doesn't cut it. It's not possible. So everything from that point of view to also just being aware that uh, digital usage, you know, stability of the system and also the need for some services. So everything that was related to having remote communication, um, was definitely heightened. We, we, we had a very big focus on that. Uh, we also had to take a step back. So some new features that we wanted to launch, we actually kind of slow down and, and pulled back a bit because we said stability right now, stability of the system is the most important thing. So we don't want to introduce something new that maybe would have a benefit for sure, but we wanted to actually prioritize that our users can use George in the most stable way that they're used to um, and not leave any room for any possible either, you know, uh, lessons that they need to learn on how to use something new or just stability of the system. So from different aspects, it was, uh, we could actually, we could see week on week how um, it was, uh, I'm proud of the team, how they were able to react really quickly, but also just the shift in the needs of the things that we needed to focus on were, were very tangible, let's say. Yeah. And I would like to pick up on something you talked about, about uh, making sure that you properly identify and authenticate uh, the people who or your your customers when they contact you. Uh, you can, uh, I hear from, from other sources as well that uh, the demand for digital ID and digital signature is uh, going through the roof across Europe and probably across the world. Is that also something that, that you experience? Well, um, I, I guess kind of a yes, but then at the same time maybe no. Uh, so, uh, and of course that's a bit subjective view and uh, th- what we try to do actually in the Mobi forum too is, is to get the better global or at least regional view on this one uh, because uh, we did actually this kind of in our expert group digital identity already a survey on the different kind of schemes uh, how how or initiative digital identity initiatives and how they deploy themselves and uh, where they are on their maturity and now we follow up uh, and look kind of uh, how this uh, moment of crisis have uh, imp- impacted in the take-up rates. Uh, there are some uh, statistics that we can see, see that it's actually picking up quite nicely. Uh, for example, uh, the UK uh, uh, scheme, which has not been that the big, big thing, actually. Uh, there is a quite nice uptake because people are more or less forced to use this service in order to get actually the benefits that they are seeking today. We have seen the same in some of the Nordic countries, that the take-up rate is going even much uh, higher than it used to be, and it's especially the, the usage so that the people use the existing digital identity because there are quite a nice mature systems. But then in many other countries, it's not. And, of course, one of the fundamental is that if you don't have the infrastructure, you cannot put it in place. And even if you would technically be able to do that, uh, digital identity usually is uh, something where there is a regulation, whether it's a local uh, legal regulation, whether it's the if there is an issue uh, for the digital identity like banks, or there might be the banking regulation. And uh, actually, these things do not just change uh, overnight. 
So I, I see that the, there is a little bit kind of a pros and cons, but at the same time, of course, there is a lot of, let's say, digital identities provided, uh, for example, like Maria said, by the bank. So, I mean, they are digital identities and uh, people can now use uh, the services much more uh, actively. So it might not be that it's, it's a kind of a digital identity given by the government or being able to uh, enabling different type of services, but if yeah, at least the banking services and in many cases, Cases actually these um, credentials which enable other services and those that type of usage is definitely growing. That what we see. Mm-hmm. Maybe your other point on the digital signature. So um, I think that it's even a little bit less mature. So there. Are, digital identity schemes, at least that what we have uh, studied and be uh, more familiar. So usually they are uh, not having that mature digital signature services, but uh, they are being developed. Um, uh, what I have a personal experience is that uh, during the now last month and a half also working online and or only online and using services for different kind of a service providers, so digital signature, uh, I don't know. I used to use digital signature probably during the last year or so, maybe once. Now, during the last one and a half months, I have done it already five times for different purposes, for governmental services, actually, but also for the uh, uh, services like uh, or applications like uh, just signing a job contract uh, like this. So, um uh, again, I think that the, this uh, requires a really infrastructure to be in place. It requires that there is a certain regulations in place. So kind of a speed up that by snapping the finger is a bit uh, more challenging. Mm-hmm. But what is obvious is, of course, that the need for a good uh, trusted digital identity and capabilities to use uh, um uh, for example, a digital signature is absolutely now uh, having a momentum. Mm. I, w- I would like to pick up on some of those points uh, maybe a little a little later, but just a, a, a quick question: What what is the role that the, that the banks can can play in uh, in 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 the accelerated rollout of uh, digital ID and digital signatures? Well, that's a very good question. In my opinion, and what what we have also concluded in our expert group is that the uh, banks have an first of all an excellent position to provide this kind of a trusted digital identity because they have this trusted uh, uh, a role in the i would say in any uh, society or, or country that we all live in in many countries actually much more trusted than for example uh, uh, law enforcement or police and so forth uh, so from that point of view i think that the uh, banks absolutely have the uh, role and what we see is uh, that uh, again the banks are seeking now also how this kind of a capabilities that they have built, how those could be leverages also by other industries, other service providers, and potentially, if not already used, also by the different kind of a governmental uh, agencies. Mm. But again, the, the, the challenge comes that uh, you need to have something, you need to solve this kind of a regulatory uh, topics in order this to, to be uh, done. But uh, again, I see that the banks have now the see that there is a momentum and uh, this is probably one of the quickest way. Uh, we have, a, for example, uh, one of the members from Canada, uh, the TD Bank, and they, they in Canada there is already the national identity uh, scheme and the infrastructure in place. And now 
how they, uh, what we hear from a TD Bank, they are really kind of looking now how and in what applications they should prioritize the implementation of, mm-hmm. of the digital identity. Yeah, it seems like it, it's becoming part of the resilience of, uh, of, of any country uh, these days where we are forced to do everything digitally or as much as possible digitally, that uh, the, the, the higher degree of digitization that a country has, the more resilient it is to, to this current situation. Is, is that a fair assumption? Yes, I would very much agree with that mm. kind of a conclusion. Yes. Yeah. But with with all of this increased and accelerated digitization uh, we also see that uh, we of course generate more and more data when we use more and more services uh, digitally uh, amir you being the data expert among us if we take the positive view on this increased amount of data first what opportunities does this bring thanks christian plenty of opportunities plenty of opportunities uh, let me just highlight two Uh, the first one is automation, so efficiency gains by removing human uh, out of you know from the loop. So um, I predict that uh, most of the banks will automate many tasks uh, that today require human labor and are repetitive and are costly. And when I when I say that, I don't only talk about back office work automation. Where we see the biggest impact is on the highly educated white collars worker side. So if you're a compliance, legal, uh, portfolio management um, professional, um, think about the amount of work that you do daily and which is repetitive and then start questioning yourself um, what other more creative activities could you start doing And the second effect is, I would say, replacing all the expert systems which are in the bank, on the bank side, with much more predictive or prescriptive applications. And this will increase responsiveness and adaptability of your systems. So instead of just relying on hard coded rules, you will be able to uh, check the input data that you receive and then pick the best rule, best solution for the given case. Also covering the edge cases where usually uh, the banks are not so good at. Mm-hmm. But this, of course, uh, comes at a price, I assume. I mean, uh, these days we see the number of unemployed people skyrocketing in most countries. And, and isn't what you are suggesting is, is, will that not just cost more jobs or will it Or can it potentially generate jobs? What is your view on that? Well, I personally think that um, many um, activities which we are doing right now are just uh, not, you know, we we are we are basically um, we are turned to a machine from the system. So I see this more as a liberation of of this this repetitive and and often boring tasks in my opinion we all have to adapt to to the fact that on one hand uh, we will have to become more creative um, specialize more on the task where humans are more competitive than the, the artificial intelligence today on the other side the question is if society will really need as many workers in the future as, as we need today 
but that's, I think, a question uh, to the politics. And mm. Maybe it will be even nicer if all of us work a bit less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wouldn't <laughs> who wouldn't want that? Um, but when when we talk about um, the way that uh, all of you guys are working from home now, and the way that uh, we all probably are using digital services even more, and the way that uh, the the bank customers that Mario described uh, use their various digital solutions to engage and interact with the bank, surveillance and uh, and that kind of data ethics discussion is is bound to pop up and and even though it seems like most of us accept a higher degree of uh, of surveillance uh, we have all these tracking apps for for covid-19 spreading that m- many of us have installed and accepted to to be tracked for for various reasons is that a, a good thing in terms of uh, further increasing the adoption of digital services or is it actually a slippery slope that we should be worried about from a yeah both consumer but also as an employee of a company that all of a sudden can measure am i following the zoom meeting or or not what what you thought um, yeah am i am i following the zoom meeting or is zoom meeting following me <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's the question no i mean it's a good question because I I was talking about opportunities first, but there are challenges. And I I see data privacy and machine learning fairness as as, as two of the big data-related challenges the banks are facing right now. You know, on the one hand, banks need to innovate using AI technology, and they have to become data-driven. And on the other side, the trust is banks' biggest asset, and by using, sharing, monetizing your customers' data, there are, there are big risk, risks involved, not only on the legal side, but also when it comes to, to trust of the customer. And so one example is, for example, machine learning fairness, uh, just to stress one. So at one point, you know, we were not not trusting the decision of a machine. And now I, I have an impression that the pendulum is swinging in the other way. So now we are starting maybe not being too critical about um, the decision of artificial intelligence. And that's, that's, that's I think, a challenge. We have to uh, remain skeptical. And when it comes to surveillance, I mean, it's good to be paranoid. I would like to paraphrase uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. He, he says, you know, it's uh, the paranoid can be wrong 1,000 times, but if you know if you're not paranoid and you're wrong only once, you know this this can have terrible outcome. Mm. And we, as a, as a customer, we are on the on the weaker side. You know, there is this asymmetry of power problem, and as long as you're on the weaker side, you should always remain paranoid. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would like to just uh, quickly ask you, Yuka. I mean, from uh, you also very much involved in the whole security space. Did you, do you see that uh, that the increased amount of data and the increased sensitivity of the data that we generate and share that uh, that that uh, comes with demand for increased security? Yes, so that would be the very simple answer. So, <laughs> of course, I mean, we live in the different type of uh, worlds compared to what kind of a society uh, structure, governmental structure, uh, what do people trust, what do they not trust. So there are, of course, these countries, uh, for example, in Asia, Singapore, 
China where you have, for example, the applications like you mentioned, this kind of a corona detection uh, apps or however we call them, been quite widely adopted and uh, people probably do not have that many concerns because the adoption rates are, I would say, relatively high, although not everybody is using them. Then comparing those uh, in Europe, so there is a lot of skepticisms, and this comes especially from the point of data privacy. That what on what conditions, first of all, I I give something, and then who can track? Uh, and I, I'm not I'm not even saying that the, the track of the data, but uh, who has developed these apps? Who who can have maybe the backdoor to the app and mm-hmm. all kind of a things? And because these uh, modern technology is basically Unvisible, uh, or it makes uh, actually the underlying capabilities uh, invisible for the consumer. So you just have an app, and you know, okay, I put some information, but what does, for example, the platform like a mobile operating system actually collects? Not to mention even the app. Uh, there is a lot of things, and uh, th- this is a big challenge. I, I think that then. Maybe I'm uh, one of these guys, like uh, Amir said, uh, being very paranoid. Uh, and I'm always a skeptic on this, and uh, I, I like that there is a very strong emphasis on the data privacy. But at the same time, I mean, I live myself in Finland, in the Nord- one of the Nordic countries. Uh, they say that we should be the happiest country in the world. But uh, even here, you can see that when actually people were asked to balance basically the health and the data privacy. So health actually was much more important. So people are willing to give away some of the data privacy in in order to get, uh, for example, the, the better position on the healthcare, uh, whatever that means, could be on the, uh, this kind of a tracking apps, which are also planned to be introduced in Finland. Yeah. And, and, and Mario, from, from a banking perspective, uh, the way that you work with data or the way that the bank customers expect you to work with their data. Have you felt any changes as a re- result of COVID-19? Uh, I was very eager to hear the answers from, from the two colleagues, but uh, uh, actually, no, I don't think that we would become, uh, we would have a different approach or a different strategy in like a pre-COVID time and now, because it's one of the things that simply we need to take seriously regardless of the, the circumstances. The only thing that has changed and what's a little bit more sensitive is just being aware that now we have many users who are actually using the digital services who are not maybe digital natives. So, you know, there's always the population of users who are uh, the traditional active users. And in times like these, when people are, are simply forced to do some things um, remote, what that they would have done maybe offline or, or using some other channels. So there are users who are simply a little bit more I don't know whether we should call it paranoid or, or just not used to uh, digital channels. And we have to just be aware that, that, that we have users who are, are also maybe a bit more sensitive to these things and just to keep that in mind. But for me, it's also like, you know, from a design point of view, it's also a really incredible time to also be able to see, especially those users, how they're using your, your product. So it's something that's like, you know, uh, let's call it a uh, type of usability test where you can see, okay, are the users who haven't been able to, who haven't been the traditional active users up to now, where did you build something well enough that it actually works as, uh, as it should, that they understand how it should work. And also uh, I would apply the same thing for your data privacy issues. So if those users who are not used to it and maybe all have some special concerns, was the data privacy policy and the way that you were treating things up to now, 
does this also give them a peace of mind? Do they still also have faith in the trust? Because yeah. I, I would, I would also be, I would be a bit wary if somebody said, oh, well, now just because this situation came up, now we have to drastically change our approach, which would signal that something wasn't being really done properly in the former times, let's call mm. them. But from a product development point of view, is the increased digitization and the increased amount of data something that you can leverage to create and develop even better products for the consumers? I think that this will also give us more of a kind of a more focus on developing tools that can help users manage their finances remotely. So when I say remotely, I mean like anything where they can do it either on their own fully without support from anybody, whether online or some sort of a digital support, just because that gives them more options. So if you're if you're only limited to actually having to sit down and ask your advisor, what should I do or what does this mean for me? If that's their only choice, then you're you're limited. You don't have the possibility to actually sit down and take a look at for in our example of like, what does George show Uh, show me about my finances. What is something that is flagged that I should look at a little bit more closely? What are the suggestions? Because if you have that, you can always say, well, I'm not sure about that. And I still want to go back to sit with my advisor to like, or call somebody or, or discuss it with a friend. But I think I'm, I'm all for giving users options. I'm not for forcing uh, decisions on them. I, I don't think mm-hmm. that's ever our role, but I think that, you know, digital and, and kind of this whole uh, data driven banking is something that is is there to give people a better insight, give them options, give them a different kind of a, a viewpoint or, or highlight things that maybe the data shows, which wouldn't be obvious for them. So I, I think that even these situations, just they can just give us a little bit more of a, a concentration and a, a push forward to to just continue the way that we've all started. Hmm. Picking up on the the whole uh, data-driven approach to, to things, if we take a, a step back uh, in um Across many countries, we've seen, uh, in my perspective, somewhat strange uh, distaste uh, for fact and science amongst the politicians and even uh, leaders of certain countries. But with COVID-19, we see that especially the the countries that seem to handle the situation best, all of a sudden the the experts have been pushed to the very front of uh, the communication to the uh, public and also uh, that uh, politicians uh, base their decisions all of a sudden on data, on facts, on modeling, on data. And Amir, uh, do you see that this data-driven design and development that I know that you for one has been been advocating for for, for a long time, has, uh, has governments all of a sudden uh, overtaken uh, private companies and banks in terms of actually basing their strategy on data? If they are right now in front, it's difficult to say, but they were faced with a crisis. The governments were faced with a crisis. And the COVID-19, the whole crisis, pushes you to to a space where uh, the outcome of every decision that you make becomes very quickly visible. And just imagine if you would compare this to banking, um, If any decision that you make as a, you know, on, on different hierarchical levels would be, become visible in 15 days, I'm sure that more banks would become data driven themselves. Mm. What are your thoughts on that, Mario? I can only agree with my, with Amir, you know, uh, even though I would say that the industry is evolving, not all banks are equal. Some are very much, you know, some would have an obje- objection to that and say, 
no, we need to improve. And some would say, well, that's fine because they're just, you know, they're used to a different way of working. So I wouldn't generalize it. Hmm. I would like to just take a slight turn on the data discussion because some part of the data that we stole with our banks today is indeed sensitive. My bank knows quite a lot about me. In this new reality of this new normal based on COVID-19, we might well find ourselves in a situation where we need to also be able to document and store our immunity status or infection status. And one thing is to store that information, but another thing is to make it available for validation as you uh, engage in, in society. Yuka, um, you are very much used to handling and distributing credentials in a safe and secure manner. Do you see a role for the banks to actually be the ones that help store and, uh, and well, distribute, store, and, and maybe even uh, validate sort of a immunity certificates or, or something similar that might come in handy as we start to return to normal life? Right. Good question again. So um, I would like to think that um, this type of uh, information, which is very, let's say, sensitive information, and there is a lot of sensitive information, of course, existing already, and they are in a different type of uh, databases uh, typically. Some of them are decentralized, and then if they are decentralized, so you could have uh, some sort of a form factor whether it's a card or something else, could be your mobile phone, where you store it. And uh, there are, of course, technologies to secure it. Um, but as I started, so I, I think that the, what I, I see this and what I see also for kind of a probably the optimal way to manage is that uh, uh, there is information, for example, collected on us. And this could be the kind of a, whether we are immune, whether we have had already the Uh, for example, the coronavirus, and we have then uh, created the immunity for that one. That is typically already in some sort of a database. And uh, what I, I would like to advocate is that uh, uh, there is then uh, actually just a strong identity uh, created somewhere, which then enable myself, but also others to actually check whether that information in some databases is there, whether it's a correct, authentic, and then the people using this kind of a, a strong uh, identity and then the use cases like authenticating themselves, whether it's a governmental office, healthcare office, uh, whether it's a, then some service, let's say private service provider, they can have that information there and it could be digitally signed and all that. So, mm-hmm. And uh, then in this respect, I believe, again, that the banks have a, excellent opportunity to be part to create this uh, digital identity and um, infrastructure and provide elements there because uh, what we hear now also in this discussion banks have this trust and that's a very unique let's say uh, factor that not many uh, even governmental agencies always have and Mm. uh, if you really foster this one there is a possibility really to bring this to the game so i kind of like to see this uh, more like a way that there is a, a really strong identity established rather than then trying to distribute this information everywhere and then mm. uh, create a separate infrastructure for that because then there is a cost for that one any kind of a device that you deliver and distribute there is a cost rather than you have a one way 
identifying yourself to somewhere like a database and then uh, using. And knowing also that there are a lot of different opinions on this kind of that you centralize everything, but at the same time looking the world that we are living. So most of the people we have given our almost kind of a whole life to the Facebooks and the like. So I tend to believe that uh, that shouldn't be finally the problem. But I mean, for me, it sounds pretty much like some of the same things that we have been discussing in the payments industry for years and years, making sure that we have security, interoperability, acceptance and all of that in place. So, for instance, if I mean, assuming that we will not have a, a definitive uh, cure vaccine in, in place, but assuming that I need to document my status before getting on a plane to fly somewhere, And of course, the same way going back so that that I know that if I fly to from Copenhagen to to Sydney, that I can get on the plane in Sydney again because I can authenticate my COVID-19 status before being led into Australia. Is that a role that that the banks and the bank and payment infrastructure could help solve? Do you, do you see that you as something that we could do on the rails that we already have in place? Well, I think that yes, bank can play a role. Uh, just taking the example of this kind of a COVID, that uh, are you allowed to take a plane because you don't have a? I mean, the, you can get the infection anytime. So, mm-hmm. it, which means that you need to be pretty much online capable. Which means that, for example, whatever device would prove this. This needs to kind of collect this information almost online. Of course, nothing can be fully online because they cannot detect all the time that did you got the virus. But if you were checked, for example, two days ago, you might have still a two-day time to get the infection and how can you prove it. So, again, best is that there is probably some sort of online capabilities and then whether you store really something in a device which you carry, whatever form factor, or whether it's in a database. So you need to have this kind of a online connectivity. So that's one of the aspects. And there, of course, again, banks would have an excellent opportunity. So if it's, for example, your banking app, it's your mobile wallet provided by the bank, or it could be, of course, related to your payment card, as, as an example, because you kind of carry your identity with your payment card. And this could be connected then to certain kind of information. So I think that the banks have an op- opportunity really to use the infrastructure that they have created because it's a global network for the payment and uh, riding the same rails for example thinking that uh, you could basically like nowadays the digital cards they are using the tokenization technology and why not you actually tokenize the for example some other data it can doesn't need to be the card data your payment but it could be other data and data could be identity uh, of course do you want to then associate that to, to certain use case like uh, this kind of a virus detection could be but I, i think that again from the infrastructure point of view and cost point of view and probably kind of a data privacy point of view again is that if you would have riding those rails providing for example tokenized identity you could use then the same rails but uh, now in a very kind of a streamlined uh, way and processes so mm-hmm. so i think yes the answer but then uh, how to exactly do so there needs to be probably still brain work done yeah i mean uh, amir you've spent several years of your life i know looking at mobile wallets do you, do you see this as a, an ideal use case for a mobile wallet Actually, I do, 
Although, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about this kind of certificates in general, um, because in this point, you know, I start asking myself, you know, how would you really implement this? Would this be opt-in or would you be forced to do it? And then if you open this door, this Pandora's box here, you know, what would be the next certificate that you would have to carry in your mobile wallet? Hmm. And Mario, do you follow these uh, ethical concerns from, uh, from Amir in terms of the services that you deliver to your consumers? Yeah, I think that that's a very valid point, especially this last one. So where is the border? And um, I think that we, we need to look at it from a little bit of a broader perspective, for sure. Just um, to add to that, it's that we have this trust and uh, I think that we need to be very careful that we don't compromise it in any way, you know, that we don't be seen as we are just a tool that is being used by maybe some some other participants in, in society that maybe would not adhere to such a, a strict level of um, ethics, let's call them. So you know, the bank has built up this trust for a reason and we need to also have our own point of view and be a little bit critical about uh, the implications of the tools that we provide. Hmm. I think it's been very, very interesting and very excellent input from all of you. Uh, maybe just to, to wrap up also in the interest of time, uh, I would like to take a brief round and hear each of you the main takeaways and learnings that you have faced uh, as part of this uh, somewhat tragic situation, but uh, but also something that has created a new normal that we need to to adapt to. So maybe uh, maybe Yuka uh, kicking off on uh, what are the main takeaways from that you see coming out of this COVID-19 situation? Right. So I, I think that we are really living this experiment ourselves. So we are part of the the rats in the cage in a way. So And uh, there is, of course, a lot of uh, learnings already in this crash course. So if you look some, maybe not just taking a banking example, but uh, for example, the school side and education. So really most of the countries probably needed to do in a kind of a couple of days and go online education really in, in a very short time frame. And if you look now the outcome, so people seem to be pretty okay with that, both from the teachers and the students and the uh, banking is maybe a bit different because in many countries we are already very much, let's say, online. Uh, so my takeaway on this one is that uh, there is a really uh, ways to improve our societies and services using the digital solutions rather easily from the technical point of view. But uh, And th- this has been always my statement. So the please solve the other things like regulatory, social aspects, behavioral aspects first. Technology-wise, you can do almost anything. And I think that this is a, one of the proof points here. The other, other thing which I would like to also emphasize uh, when we look from the banking point of view is exactly what we discussed here in the latter part is, is the trust. So you shouldn't compromise the trust because there is a now opportunity maybe to do quickly something. So it's good that you take things like, just like Mario said, something which is proven, which is stable, run that one, and then try to, of course, implement new services, features uh, gradually once you are sure that they work because that that's the uh, really fundamental that uh, if people get uh, having this kind of a bad experiences, so then it's very difficult to get them on board another time. 
and they are, of course, then in relation to the trust for the banks, also the data privacy. So please cherish that one as much as you can, because then on that you can really try again build the businesses for the future. Thank you, and and Mario. Assuming that you do not disagree too much with Yuka on these statements, besides from what Yuka highlights here, what is the biggest? takeaways that and learnings that you will bring with you based on this current situation. Yeah, so I definitely agree with Yuka. Um, and uh, maybe I just add a few different ones. So uh, one, um, let's start from like remote working since we're doing the podcast remote, uh, of course. So I, I'm incredibly proud also of just my team and, and in general seeing how well collaboration works remote. So I've had a lot of situations where I was personally working with a partially remote team But as those who know me, I'm a very much of a people person. So as I said, you know, grabbing a, a marker and writing on a whiteboard is something that is just like that's a normal part of my day. Um, but being able to see how different people can react and work really well collaboratively in remote working, um, that's my big positive from this whole crisis where definitely the way of working will not be the same in the future. That's one part. Second part, users or customers, however we want to Uh, label them. So it was a very good motivation for everybody to use contactless payments. I have to say, you know, something we don't think about that much, but now, you know, everybody from merchants to uh, consumers, everybody's looking at how can we pay without actually exchanging any money or handing over cards. So contactless payments will definitely uh, come out of this as a winner. Also just uh, shops like seeing, you know, the difference and the significance of having uh, an online presence for many merchants is, um, Also, you know, a big takeaway, I think that people who are a little bit skeptical and saying, well, I still got my shop and I can rely on people coming in. That's definitely not the case. And that and also for me, the last days, I've definitely been thinking a lot about um, just how we can support SMEs. So also, you know, in George, we're also building up a group of services specifically started for SMEs. And for me, when I see kind of the whole aftermath of Corona and looking at how SMEs and, you know, small Uh, enterprises have been definitely the ones who have been hit the hardest. We need to all find different ways and just give them as many tools as we can to help them uh, recover from all of this. So kind of three completely different aspects, but for me, really interesting and uh, at least positive things that we can uh, take into the future. Yeah. And and Amir, and, uh, and just for everybody, Amir has also spent a good part of his professional life uh, working for a bank. So I would also very much like to hear your thoughts and perspective on uh, what will you personally, but also what should banks take away from this current situation? <laughs> well, um, personally, I discovered that I think for years, my behavior when I was using financial services was kind of very in line with what what is right now happening with COVID-19 Uh, you know, I, I never wanted to have a direct interaction with human, <laughs> even without the face mask. I was always asking myself, why should I visit the branch? Why should I sit in this chair and watch this banking clerk giving a call to another banking clerk asking something? And and I hope that this crisis will be seen as opportunities not to go back And all these advances that we, we did kind of, you know, with some push from behind in the direction of reducing friction for our customers, you know, let's uh, keep all these gains and let, let us not go back there. Mm. 
Thanks for all very excellent advice and observations from all three of you. And I can only conclude by saying that uh, this accelerated digitization that we see across the board is certainly something that I also see as, as positive for the most part. It's something that will bring businesses, including banks, many new opportunities for improving the services that they deliver to consumers. I also agree that there are certain things that we will not go back to uh, after this. But of course, with all the new opportunities comes certain reflections, uh, certain pitfalls that you should consider. And I think that the conversation that we just had uh, has been very good at highlighting some of these potential pitfalls. And for those of you listening, I hope that you saw this as an, a good example of, of a quality dialogue that hopefully sparked some ideas or raised some concerns uh, with yourself. And this is this is what we do in Mobile Forum. It is open, honest discussions. We are not afraid to admit when there's something we don't know. We're not afraid to admit when something goes wrong. And this makes for much more interesting conversations. Uh, this is the first time uh, we do this format. So uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it. And uh, we are also looking to have future editions in the same format, if there's an interest for that. If you have any questions, topics that you would like to see discussed, please share them on Twitter using the hashtag AskMobay, or you can send them via email to mobayforum at mobayforum.org. And um, feel free if you want to be anonymous. We will, of course, not distribute uh, the origin of a question if we do a future edition of a, of a panel like this and, uh, and take up your specific question. So... We hope you've enjoyed this uh, conversation and we uh, welcome you to follow what else Mobe is doing. We have a lot of different interesting content coming out. So keep your eyes on mobileforum.org or follow us on Twitter. Have a nice day. Thank you.